hey, when did you first start listening to this show? I realized the other day, like I sometimes imagine that you've been here as long as I have, but most people who listen to the show have not been listening for 10 years. Who listens to the same podcast for 10 years? Some of you have, thank you. Uh, but a lot of you have, have joined us more recently. And, and thinking about that, I'm like, oh, they don't know. They don't know that like 10 years ago, this was just like Jesse's podcast, you know, like Alice's TikTok or, or you know, Jim's Substack. Like it was just like a hobby kind of a thing. I put a duvet over my head in my house and recorded the show. That's what Canada Land was for like a year. There were no paying supporters. There was no staff. There was no reporting. Uh, originally, it was really just like a chat show. And looking back from this, like we've been here now 10 years, it is remarkable for me to think about how that evolution has happened. And I realized like people listening might not know that. Here's how it happened. It happened because we stumbled upon what everybody is looking for in the news business. We, we stumbled upon a viable business model and it was not particularly sophisticated. It came as everything here came uh, from the listeners. It was a particular listener who said to me, there's this thing called Patreon at the time was uh, the platform. I had no idea that it existed. And, and, and he said to me, you know, th this might be a way that you could make this into your part-time job. And, and then it went from a part-time job to my full-time job. And then I had it as a, like, they call it a moonshot. Like, yeah, and if we get, you know, $10,000 a month, I'll start a, a Canada land company. And, and then within a year we got there. And so that's the model. Everything that's happened um, in the years since has been directly driven by this business model, but business model is a, a clinical way to put it. It's been, it's been people powered. It's, it's just directly because of listeners like you. That's how we started reporting stories, not just talking about the news. That's how we went on to launch shows like Commons. That's how we got the funds to do Thunder Bay. That is how we got the resources to uh, recently go into French language programming with Detour. That is how we did the Kilberger investigation. It's just like step by step asking listeners to become paying supporters and some percentage of listeners doing so. And every time our listeners kind of like bump us up a notch, we feel this incredible pressure to earn it, to deliver on the thing that we've promised or to show them that the more resource we get, the more things we can do. And, and that's just become this incredible fuel. The, it's sort of the mentality of, of Canada land is if, if we are lucky enough to be this outlier that gets a little bit bigger each year, we have to earn it. We have to show you. And so here we are in crowdfunding month. And once again, I am asking you, and this message only goes out to our supporters who are not yet paying supporters. So I'm asking you, please, to move into that other category and like we are going to earn it. We are going to show you what we can do with your support. And what I can tell you is that as we've grown and as more and more people have become aware of Canada Land, who don't necessarily think of us as like Jesse's podcast, but like know us by our reputation for breaking stories. So we have a big pile of stories that we are waiting to dig into. We have investigations that we want to launch. And, you know, it's 
a sad state of affairs in the media in general in Canada. There's just more and more stuff not getting dug into, not getting exposed, not getting explored. But that actually creates this incredible opportunity for us. We can really pick the most interesting and important stories to put reporters on. And if you look at the kind of stories we've dug into in the past, whether it's White Saviors or Thunder Bay or Cool Mules or, or Ratfucker, um, I think we make pretty damn good podcasts when we do that. Uh, I want you to help us make more of those. And we've recently started working with this incredible colleague, uh, Julie Shapiro, who I've mentioned before, who is responsible for shows like Ear Hustle. And we have put out a call for new series and we were overwhelmed by uh, hundreds of people with incredible stories and and we want to be able to tell as many of these great stories as deserve to be told that's exactly what you're going to be funding when you become a supporter and then we just drown you in perks and bonus content and uh, increasingly robust programs for live events and opportunities if you want them uh, to come and uh, say hi and meet us at some of these events we certainly want to meet our supporters we need you to do this now. The other thing that a lot of more recent listeners might not know is that we push hard for new supporters now and time is running out uh, in this annual campaign because the rest of the year, we just give our podcasts away for free and we do not spend this kind of time trying to get people to become supporters. So this is like our opportunity. It's, it's, a, it's a window that is closing. Please go to canadaland.com slash join or click on the link in your show notes you can keep journalism alive in Canada. You can directly fund investigative work. We will make you proud. Please put us to work for you. Do it now. CanadaLand.com slash join. Thank you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with 
each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Tim Bousquet, editor and publisher of the Halifax Examiner. Hi, Jesse. How you doing, Tim? Um, I'm a bit uh, stressed and tired. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. Today on the show, Pierre talks with his mouth full, and it makes him famous. And, Tim, the reporter who might be going to jail for covering a murder trial. I'm talking about you. Yeah. Maybe that's why you're stressed. Uh, Tim, welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. Thanks for having me, Jesse. This episode is brought to everybody by Scott Nordland, Sarah Johnson, David Weller, Samantha Butler-Hassan, Daryl Broughton, Jennifer Billington, Jack Lamon, and because it's crowdfunding season, we asked some people if they think Canada is better or worse off because of Canada Land. Here is what broadcaster Terry O'Reilly had to say. Hi, I'm Terry O'Reilly. I'm the host of Under the Influence. So is Canada better or worse because of Canada Land? Well, journalism is clearly under siege right now. There's a lot of mistrust and distrust and misinformation. I think Canada Land asks a lot of the right questions because they're independent. So they're not beholden to anybody. So they don't flinch when asking the tougher questions. The subjects that they cover are timely. Uh, They cover a lot of the... um, issues that legacy media do not cover. The conversations with guests are insightful and illuminating and often infuriating. I don't agree with everything I hear, but I think that's actually important. I think that that might be the point, that you have to hear both sides of an issue or a policy in order to make an informed decision. And I really enjoy the long-form series that Canada Land does, like when Commons did that deep dive into the world of hockey, which was eye-opening, to say the least. So, is Canada better or worse because of Canada Land? Well, my vote is better. All right, Tim, we're in a bit of a spot here. This is a familiar pickle for me as the host of this show because, you know, we, we talk shit about the news here. We do not have a say in what makes it into the news. You know, whatever is news, it's our job to, to talk shit about it. So when something really dumb blows up big, something cynical and, and trivial, like when a politician just cynically seeks media attention through very obvious uh, intelligence-insulting schemes, and then they get it, well, we have to give them even more attention because it, it just it's our job to make sense of what's happening in the news. And with that caveat, I turn your attention to the Apple. It seems the whole world has seen conservative leader Pierre Poilievre eating an apple. Pierre Poilievre gave a masterclass on how to handle 
left-wing journalist. The now infamous Apple interview. Canada, please. <laughs> Canada! This, I've been waiting for this one the whole oh, night. This, this is, is the best. such right. a good story. A journo tried to take him to task today and this guy wasn't having a bar of it. He's an absolute legend. His name's Pierre Polivier. I probably just absolutely butchered his name. Canadian Conservative Party leader, and I know I can do this, Pierre Poilive. I think I got it. I think that's his name. Poilive. We're in no position to judge the pronunciation on this show. There's been a lot of, uh, okay, uh, what the hell are they talking about? That was the entire world. This was, this was, Tim, this was a big deal for Pierre Poilive. This was like the introduction of Pierre Poilive to the international right-wing media. This was his breakthrough moment. Fox News took note. The conservative British press heaped praise upon him. Megyn Kelly tweeted, can we get him in our country? <laughs> what did he do? That was so he great. He ate an apple. He ate an apple. Okay, I think people need a bit more context. It's possible that someone out there missed the apple. What was this This video? So, so what you're seeing here is an interaction between Pierre Polyev and BC journalist Don Urquhart, editor of the Times Chronicle, and, and what listeners uh, cannot see here, and I guess it's the pivotal aspect of this, is that while he's doing this interview with a reporter, conservative leader Pierre Polyev is chomping on an apple. On the, on the topic, I mean, in terms of your sort of strategy currently, you're obviously taking the populist uh, pathway. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> well, ap- appealing appealing to people's uh, more emotional levels, I would guess. Um, I mean, what certainly, you mean certainly you certainly you tap certainly you tap uh, very strong ideological language quite frequently. Like what? Uh, left wing, you know, this and that, right wing, you know, I mean, it's that, that type I of ideological thing. About, I never really talk about left but or right. Anyways, a lot I don't of people, really believe in that. Okay. A lot of people would, would say that you're simply taking a page out of the Donald Trump uh, book. Like which people would say that? Well, I'm sure a great many Canadians, but... Like who? <laughs> I don't know who, but... Well, you're um, the one who asked the question, so yeah. how, you must know somebody. <laughs> okay. And it goes on like this. Yikes. All right, so I think that Pierre, whether he knew that this was going to happen or not, you know, you got to wonder when, he, like, chomping on the apple before the reporter starts that line of questioning. He's already just dismissive and smug and, like, showing the guy no respect. Like, you know, this, this is a conservative party leader doing an interview with a journalist who theoretically represents the public and their right to know, and he's just like... Got a very fuck you attitude from the start. Did he know that it was going to go this way? In any event, he knew what he had after he had it. And he tweeted it out with the uh, the killer burn, how do you like them apples? And, and releases this and it, it blows up widely. Do you think, Tim, that this is like evidence of Polyev's masterful jujitsu flip of the left-wing press? Or is it more evidence of the incompetence of this one reporter? <laughs> well, I think it starts with the incompetence. Uh, he certainly just fed that. He was utterly unprepared for this interview. You don't go into an interview with someone like him just asserting things. You, you, you need evidence, proof, citations. That's just bad reporting. I mean, if you wanted to go down that road and, and you did your homework, it's like a 10-minute Google session. Rather than say you're kind of a populist, right? You know what I'm talking about. You could specifically cite Pierre Polyev. You have embraced conspiracy theories like that the WEF is ruling the world, the Davos elites are in charge of everything. 
You've warned against the Great Reset as some menace, uh, globalism, which is coded word for an international Jewish conspiracy. You've embraced the uh, trucker convoy. You have falsely asserted that Trudeau plans to make digital IDs mandatory. That's not true. You also pitched crypto as a way that Canada could get out of inflation right before crypto lost like 50% of its value. Like you could back up, if you wanted to say that, you know, to answer his questions, what do you mean by populist? There's plenty, there's plenty that you could, if you had just done some basic homework, there's plenty of stuff you could have brought up. That's right. And instead it was just this vague, oh, you're a populist, period. And then to this this question of whether he's divisive, whether he pits the the the, the right against the left, which he says, I don't, I don't really talk about that. The, the Liberal Party, they had their kind of comeback and they actually put together a sound pack that I would have been happy to have put together for this show or, or have worked with my colleagues on. Let's hear the Liberal Party's response to that. A radical uh, left. Radical leftist authoritarian. This prime minister's leftist ideology, Marxist government, socialist policies, big socialist governments, radical leftist agenda, the socialist policies of the NDP with the government, liberal NDP, radical left, champagne socialist, leftist authoritarian. I never really talk about left or right. Chomp, chomp, chomp. I don't like that left versus right stuff. That's not me. Yeah, the problem here is that uh, the, the liberal uh, video will get, you know, 1% of the, the coverage as the original did. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the truth will, 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 you know, what is Fox News or the Australian or British media give a damn whether he was just completely lying? It's just, it's a wicked burn clip. It's a great, it's a great, like, it, it seems to prove something about how reporters are, are trying to stitch up right-wing politicians or conservative politicians. And all you got to do is just calmly swap them away and ask them to back it up and they'll fall apart. And the fact that it's really just the fact that this guy didn't know what the hell he was talking about because he didn't bother to check is of of no significance to everybody who has embraced this clip. So I don't know. I don't know what to say. I think the lesson is get prepared for your interviews. I think that's absolutely the lesson that we should take from it. I, I also feel like there's sort of a depressing takeaway on the wider scale, which is like, we you know, doing this work, you, you kind of hope that the truth has a force and a power all of its own. But... <laughs> It feels like kind of the truth feels pretty weak in this instance. Yeah, for sure. I think, Tim, and I'm very happy to leave the apple chomping episode behind us and move on. But I, I, I do think it's worth highlighting, not just because it happens to be in the news, but because I worry with some certainty that it's this kind of nonsense that the coming election is going to be fought and, and won on. That it, it's these viral moments. And, and Canadians, even here, it's like it gets another round of attention. The fact that it got attention gets attention. And there are stories from the CBC on the fact that Pierre Polyev has been noticed internationally. And that just kind of makes it a, a snowball in which, you know, the, the fact that it's all predicated on nonsense just doesn't matter at all. This episode is brought to everybody by Squarespace. Tim, uh, you have been, as a news publisher, in the position of having to build a website from scratch. You know that that can be filled with complications and headaches. It sure is. Well, folks, there's a simpler way. If, if you have been flirting with the idea of starting a website, you just like go to Squarespace. They've got you covered. It's a one-stop shop. There are beautiful templates for every possible type of website like 
they've considered it. What you're trying to do, they've already built it to professional standards with everything that a modern website needs to sell custom merchandise, uh, to feature video content, to, to start email campaigns, to have great analytics, social media, pl- everything, everything you'll find it on Squarespace. They have a great online store, whether you're selling physical, digital, or service products. Head to squarespace.com slash CanadaLand for a free trial. When you are ready to launch, enter the promo code CanadaLand. You'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Tim, uh, you have been on the show before. You know that we like to take some time to duly note news stories that uh, more people should know more about. What do you have for us today? Well, I I have a a sad story, Jesse. You know, our our industry has been hit very hard. You you know this. We've had the the loss of advertising, the consolidations, the layoffs, the hedge funds, closing entire chains, on, on, on. Yet we still have people out there doing reporting. It's not because there's big money out there. It's it's rather just sheer force of will of individual people devoting all their time and effort to prop up these little organizations popping up here and there around the country for not much money. It really is just a labor of love. And I've been thinking about this for a long time lately. And that's because, you know, the Health Act Examiner is probably one of the more successful local startups in North America. And we struggle. You know, I'm 60 years old. I'm in good health and I've got some years left in me. But I try to think about what retirement looks like. And I'm having a hard time getting there, figuring out, you know, how the examiner keeps going on without me. Mm hmm. And the reason I bring this up is that there are smaller operations that are even more stressed than the examiner. And I'm thinking specifically of the Cape Breton Spectator, which is a one-person operation run by Mary Campbell. Mary has done fantastic work over the years. I I really admire her journalism and and her commentary. Mary has recently taken ill. I I don't have details, but last month on September 13th, she posted that she faces some health problems and won't be writing for a while. And last week, her family posted on the site announcing they were pausing the spectator. That's all I know, but it's a huge loss to independent journalism in Nova Scotia and Canada, frankly. I, I guess, you know, when the money is exhausted, when there's no big financing coming in to fund media, all there is is a bunch of fragile humans, and we can't go on forever either. And uh, I think this is a, a sad illustration of that. I just really want to want to note Mary's situation. Well, I'm glad you did, and and I, and I think that we talk about these tiny operations sometimes in like very in sad in sad tones, and it sounds like those circumstances are sad. I hope to convey to people like a sense of of hope and inspiration around this because it's not simply about this person's great and they're doing great work with with very little resource. It's that the only thing that's working in Canada right now, that things have been tried on a corporate level, on an investment level, on a government policy level, on a getting big tech to pay for it level. The only thing that seems to be viable are these tiny operations. It's the only hope we have for maintaining journalism in Canada. So it is just crucial that people support her organization, that they support the Halifax Examiner. It's it's like all we got is us, you know, all, and it's just going to be up to Canadians, do we want to keep yeah. this stuff around or not? Yeah, and it, it's really you have to support those people in your community who are who are doing that hard work for not much money and 
frankly, it affects their health and, and their future, you know? I'd like this to get to a place, and I think it is possible, where it's like, it is inspiring and amazing that, like, some people are able to just do it at all, because that is an impossibility in so many places. But we can maybe do a little bit better than that, and maybe we could actually have things like healthcare and, you know, unions and pensions, and, like, it, you know, it is possible, but uh, in smaller communities, it's incredibly hard. Duly noted. Duly noted, Tim. I want to duly note an update to some coverage we've had on Shortcuts in the past. Specifically, we talked uh, on the show, on last week's show, Jonathan and Pasent Matar discussed the claims regarding the blast in Gaza that happened in the courtyard outside uh, a hospital in Gaza, which has become a, like a lightning rod for the, uh, the growing conflict. So they were, they were providing analysis of news from the Israel-Hamas war at an early moment after that explosion in the courtyard at the Al-Ali Hospital in Gaza. Information was just starting to come in and the process of verification and confirmation and all of this at a time when both sides are involved in like an information war at the same time. And what I want to note about that coverage, there's no inaccuracy on that, but it was an early moment. And our hosts did discuss credibility issues that the Israeli Defense Force has in terms of what they've told the press in the past, which is True, the IDF does have a spotty history of misleading the press or or telling the press things that are wrong in in, in previous cases, and that's a totally irrelevant thing to talk about when you're assessing their claims about not being responsible for this blast. Of course, Israel having spotty credibility does not make Hamas more credible or more trustworthy. And what I want to duly note is that in in the time that has since passed, uh, since last week's show, we do have more information about that strike at the hospital. And, and it's still inconclusive, Tim. But if, you're, if you are staying on this and reading all of what's coming out of the media, there's a general consensus, there's general consistency amongst reports that have come out from CNN, BBC, Associated Press, and others who have been like analyzing footage and sound waves and, and a lot of data about what they believe could have happened or what most likely happened. Here's a quote from CNN. CNN has reviewed dozens of videos posted on social media, aired on live broadcasts and filmed by a freelance journalist working for CNN in Gaza, as well as satellite imagery to piece together what happened in as much detail as possible. Without the ability to access the site and gather evidence from the ground, no conclusion can be definitive, but CNN's analysis suggests that a rocket launched from within Gaza broke up midair and that the blast at the hospital was the result of part of the rocket landing at that hospital complex. That reflects a number of the news reports, but the news reports are not unanimous. Al Jazeera, they reported that their investigation found no grounds for the Israeli army's claim that the strike was caused by a failed rocket launch. And then there's the New York Times. The, Neiman has a, a good analysis of their coverage because they went early with Hamas accounts of Israeli culpability, and they later walked that back and issued a sort of a correction. In addition, we have many government speaking out officials from the U.S., the U.K., and Canada saying that without conclusively, uh, definitively, they're saying that they believe that, that this came from Gaza. All of which has me reflecting on how newsreaders are supposed to contend with uncertainty. People are not comfortable with uncertainty, especially people who are following this conflict because they're passionate about it because they have strong feelings about one side of it or the other, not knowing for sure who's responsible for something like that. People don't like not knowing for sure. And what I'm reading people express is not what they know 
about who's culpable, but who they feel is to blame. And surprise, surprise, people's feelings about who's to blame tends to conform with how they feel about the wider culpability. And, you know, there are people who, who feel that, you know, if Israel was responsible for this attack, then, you know, it follows that they would deny it. And then it follows that America being an ally of Israel would back them up. And then, you know, Canada, the UK, of course, they would follow suit. And then how hard would it be for, you know, the, the media, the Western media to find experts to back that up? And all I got to say is, like, go ahead and feel that way. But if you are taking a moment to think that through, instead of feeling about it, think about it, you may realize that what you are describing is literally a global Zionist media conspiracy. Like, that's what that would take. And you don't have to go there. You know, we, we don't have to have an opinion when there's not information to know. You know, you don't have to decide that a global Zionist media conspiracy is something that you believe in. You can still support a free Palestine. You can still uh, find what's happening in Gaza right now abhorrent and do everything you can to try to stop it and still say, I just don't know for sure what happened with that hospital. Maybe we'll find out later on. The, the, The last time, Tim, that we were talking about this on the show, about this uncertainty, we were talking about how we didn't know yet what to believe when it came to those awful reports about decapitated babies. And just because you don't know at one point doesn't mean that more information is not forthcoming. Since that time, there's been an update. Dr. Chen Kugel, who is the head of Israel's National Center of Forensic Medicine, he spoke to the press. uh, He spoke to the media line. It was then reported by the Jerusalem Post. And what Dr. Kugel said is that he saw many bodies firsthand, eyewitness. He saw the corpses of adults and, yes, babies and that some of them had been uh, decapitated, plural. And this is something that was also confirmed by U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, who, who reported seeing photos of this. So there are lots of interests right now that are trying to push observers of this conflict into extreme positions on one side or the other, and we don't have to do what those people tell us to do. It doesn't make us any less loyal or, or, or value human life any less to wait and see what the facts bear. The world is really on the brink right now, and these are the narratives that are used to justify all kinds of horrible things. They can be the tipping point past the point of no return. So let's all be careful out there. Duly noted. And Jesse, if I can add, I, I really appreciated your episode um, I, I thought it was thoughtful and well done and, and it was exactly needed at, at that time. So, so thank you for that. I've never struggled so hard with just following the news. It's never been harder. And, uh, it's just a time to remember how hard it is for everybody. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars, And I I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what 
Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Tim, we have a very complicated story to convey to people for our uh, our last conversation here today, and it all starts with uh, with a murder. Can you give us the summary of what happened in 2010? Yeah, this was here in Dartmouth, where I live in the in the north end of Dartmouth, uh, right down the street from me. Actually, uh, in 2010, a a pizza delivery driver named Chad Smith was out delivering pizzas and was murdered. And it's it's pretty apparent that he was lured to this location because it, it backed up into some woods where uh, he could be, he was shot with a shotgun while making this false delivery. There was no order at this particular address, but he was killed there and whoever killed him ran through the woods to escape. So that's the short of it. That was 2010. In 2013, police finally charged two people, Nathan Johnson and Randy Riley, with the murder. There was no physical evidence linking either man to the to the crime. Mm-hmm. There was uh, no eyewitnesses, no forensic evidence. But there were two witnesses who testified to things that happened before and after the murders, uh, conversations uh, between the two men. And they were each convicted. Uh, Nathan Johnson was convicted in 2015, and then Randy Riley was convicted in 2018. Now, it's important in a Nova Scotia context to note that the victim, Chad Smith, was a white man, and both people convicted were black men. Randy Riley has always maintained his innocence. He he said he had nothing to do with it, to the point that when he was convicted, there was a sentencing hearing, and rather than you know throw himself at the mercy of the, the court and beg forgiveness, he instead turned to the family of the victim and explained how he could not have possibly killed this person. Mm-hmm. Fast forward a couple of years and he, Randy Riley appealed his conviction and it went all the way to the Supreme court of Canada, which ordered a new trial. Um, I won't get into the, the ins and outs of that. It's kind of besides the point, but that new trial was, was heard last month. Now, in the meantime, those two witnesses each changed their story. One witness changed his story to say that the cops pressured me to say this. And they said, if I didn't say this, they would charge me with murder. Wow. 
so that's that's the one. Uh, and I, I could go I could talk all day about him, but that's also besides the point. The other witness was a, a woman named Caitlin Fuller. She changed her story in a in a way that further implicated Randy Riley. She said for the first time in 13 years, having testified seven times, uh, well, testified three times and given four statements to police under oath for the first time in 13 years, she says, well, the day after the murder, Randy came and picked me up and we went to this remote location over in Coal Harbor. And he said, if I tell the police that Randy was involved in this murder, he will kill my brother and make me watch and then he'll kill me. So she said he threatened her life. That story had never come up before. But as a result of having this new story, Caitlin Fuller was put back in witness protection, saying that she feared for her life. When I say put back, that's because she had been in it two times previously, but was removed. And all I'm allowed to tell you at this point, because there's a publication ban on it, is that uh, she was removed for breaching the program rules. So she was put back in for the third time. And here we are at trial. The crown says, look, she's in witness protection. This is proof that she's credible. She had to uproot her whole life. Her kids were taken out of school. She couldn't communicate with people in her community anymore. It has to establish a new life somewhere else. Who would do that unless they truly feared for their lives? The defense said just the opposite pointing at very at particulars in her experience with the witness protection program, which I'm not allowed to tell you at this point, they said she went into witness protection program for her own benefit. And I can tell you that she received over $600,000 in benefits through the witness protection program. There are other particulars, lots of other particulars that were raised at trial in front of the jury that I reported on. Mm-hmm. I wrote two I wrote two articles about this. It was not covered by a publication ban. Happened in open court. I'm just doing my job as a reporter. After those articles came out, the federal crown, the lawyers for the witness protection program showed up in court and said, "We want a publication ban on information about Caitlin Fuller's uh, relationship with the witness protection program and we want that publication ban to be retroactive, meaning that the two articles I've already written and published were to be taken down from the internet. And what if you don't? (laughs) Well, here's what's the arguments that came out in the publication ban hearing were that if the judge actually did that, the moment he made that order, I would be a criminal because those, those articles had already been published and I could face up to five years in jail and a $50,000 fine. Now, it's unlikely that that would actually happen, but theoretically, I could. More to the point is the information is out there. I'm not allowed to link to those articles, but they're on the Internet. And it's sort of this Orwellian, we're going to rewrite history kind of element to it. The judge hasn't made a decision. Oh, I I should mention that uh, when the jury went out and came back in just three and a half hours, with a not guilty verdict. So they, I mean, we don't know what they were thinking, but they clearly agreed with the defense. It's with the judge right now. He has reserved his decision and that could come out anytime. I I, I expect him to act rather quickly. So it wouldn't surprise me if I heard something today or tomorrow, but it could take months also. I I just don't know. And I think 
this is chilling for a couple of reasons. One, to criminalize reporting that happened in an open court should concern all of us, you know, just period. But but besides that, at, at issue here is a witness's relationship with the witness protection program. And I would argue that her relationship with the witness protection program, the details of which I cannot tell you, were weaponized to prosecute what we now know as an innocent man for murder. And there's all these racial overtones attached to this. If we back up, I think we all kind of have this unreflective thought that, oh, of course, witnesses should be protected. And we, we think about the mob and how the number two or number three in the mob testifies against the godfather and, you know, the mob could go kill this person. So, of course, we should put them in witness protection and have a new life and, and so on. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. But because the witness protection program has been given this legislative secrecy that no one can look under the hood, it can be, and I would argue in this case was, abused. And and that's real concerning to me because I don't know how to move forward with the reporting. I want to investigate how how the budgets work. Mm-hmm. Is it audited? What can a witness get through being in the witness protection program? Can it be a financial benefit that's way out of line with what they're offering? What happens if a witness in witness protection lies on the stand? These are all questions that just have never even been asked as far as I can see, much less investigated. And what the witness protection is doing by demanding this publication ban, asking for this publication ban, is keeping the scrutiny off its own program. It's the only organization that I know of uh, in our society that is just completely off limits from looking at. I have questions. Sure. <laughs> I guess my first question is, can we talk about this? Can we, can we say the name Caitlin Fuller? Are you, getting, are you getting me in trouble here? We can say the name Caitlin Fuller. Tell me uh, if I trip up or go over any line here. I mean, I don't, I don't know the case, so well, I probably can't get into trouble here without your help. Well, uh, of course not. I would not want to get you in trouble, and I would never knowingly violate a, a publication ban. Yeah, and you would be getting yourself in, into further trouble. And, and this isn't just about yeah. publication bans because, I mean, it's reasonable based on just like – my understanding of what the witness protection program is, and yes, it's informed by many mob movies, but yeah, I guess you wouldn't want journalists exposing people who are in, who are in witness protection. Um, so that's a criminal code violation, right? That's not necessarily a public uh, publication ban. That's uh, you're not you're not allowed to expose a government witness. That came up during the hearing. They said that my two already published articles violate the witness protection program act, and they cited a certain section. And, you know, I spoke with the judge and I said, uh, I read these articles. I read the act. I don't see how anything in these articles are able to connect somebody out in the, in the world back to Caitlin Fuller, uh, you know, give any information about her particulars in the program. Is that her original name or is that her new name in the program? Are we like, does that expose her? That's her original name. Oh, she's got some new name now that we that I'm glad I don't know. All right, let me move on and let me just make sure I understand. So, you know, the subject being Randy Riley and what happened to him, it's like now you've got this new subject, which is the program itself, which I like, I'm a nerd and I find that kind of interesting. But Riley ultimately, so he has been exonerated. He's a free man now. He's been found not guilty. But I 
he spent seven years and eight months behind bars. He spent a few years in prison before he even got a trial. That, that, that's a long time. Yes. And we're supposed to have speedy trials. Okay. So, and, and, and the reason why is because both of these witnesses, Paul Smith and Caitlin Fuller, were found to have given false testimony. Well, they, they both admitted as much. They, they on, on the stand at this trial, they both said that they lied in previous trials. Okay. And don't don't forget, there's another man, uh, Nathan Johnson, who's convicted of first degree murder, sitting in prison right now, based on testimony that the witness says she lied that. And her story, I, I want to get my head around this because she has been testifying against these guys for years, but then after testifying against them and helping to get them convicted, she then says, "Oh yeah, he threatened me with death if I testified against him." That's hard to understand because she went ahead and she did speak to the cops. So if if you're going to go say, well, I won't be threatened. I'm going to go talk to the cops. Why wouldn't you also tell the cops? And by the way, he threatened me, but I'm I, but I'm telling you anyhow. And her fear of him is the justification for like why she needs witness protection. And then the crown is saying, how do we know she's credible? Well, if she wasn't telling the truth, why would she join the witness protection program and and leave her life and go through such an upheaval? Which, you know, it's I think it's almost like a fantasy some people have of like, ooh, you know, there's like, you know, uh, there's an episode of The Simpsons about it. You know, like, you know, maybe you don't like your life so much. And if there's uh, – you, you, you can wear that on the other side too because if they're going to give her a fresh start and cash in pocket, that maybe hurts the credibility of her testimony. And I will say like I've never – I don't know. I don't know much about the Witness Protection Program, but I, I have always thought of it as something for people who are testifying against like organized crime, not – this is not an organized crime case, not, not right? Like it's all pretty like like who she needs protection from this guy who's been in jail. Yeah, the whole she, time that she, she went to the cops with her news story after Randy was given bail after the Supreme Court of Canada ordered a new trial. Yeah, the the other witness in this case, Paul Smith, he was given eighteen thousand dollars by the RCMP to to restart his life. He was not in the witness protection program. He was just given that money to find a new house. Well, he should have bargained better. The, the CBC reported that Caitlin Fuller, in this case, received benefits totaling $634,000 from the program, including 270000 over a 15-month period. Well, that is interesting. That's an interesting, you know, we like to have specific stories to look at wider programs or organizations or institutions. And you've got a specific subject here in Caitlin Fuller that opens up uh, a line of journalistic inquiry into assessing the witness protection program itself. But it is quite a pickle to report on something that by law you're not supposed to talk about so much. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know what the solution here is. I, I have more reporting to do on Caitlin Fuller herself that in no way even gets near to the publication ban issues or the witness protection program issues. And that will be forthcoming. But I'm very much trying to dwell into how do how do I report on the witness protection program in the abstract? I mean, forget this particular case. And even that is um, near impossible given the legislative uh, secrecy ordered around the program. I'm, I'm fascinated. That's like a, like a frustrating, but kind of a cool, like r- reporting roadblocks are interesting to me. And I'm curious how one might overcome that. Yeah. One more thing I should mention. Uh, and again, race is deeply involved yeah, I read here it was uh, he was convicted by an all-white jury. Yeah, and the second jury was all-white too, but they found him not guilty. And here was a, a murder case. I was the only one in the courtroom for the testimony. Uh, a couple of reporters showed up for closing arguments, but I was the only one there for Caitlin Fuller's testimony. Uh-huh. We've had murder trials here, a recent one involving a fraternity 
uh, a murder of a fraternity guy. And, and, you know, there were, I don't know, eight or nine reporters in the courtroom. And this one, just me. I try to do a good job, but this is clearly a, a case where the better funded uh, news organizations uh, should have been there. And I don't know why they weren't there. Well, I mean, I, I think often about how many things happen every day and there's not a reporter there. How many, you know, like the resources are thinner than they ever have been. And you make a good point about like we could be allocating resources and legacy media should be allocating resources better. But of course, there, you know, w- we wouldn't know about this to the extent that we do without you. And there's probably dozens more cases that we don't know about at all. That's right. I'm now, I've long paid particular attention to the courts. We have all sorts of issues involving police and jails and and courts, and they are under scrutinized, to put it mildly. Tim, that is, uh, that's our show for this week. That's Shortcuts. Thank you for joining me. Hey, Jesse, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Listen, Tim, I recently spoke to the legendary David Suzuki, and the guy immediately starts pitching me his idea for a new sci-fi podcast. Aliens from another galaxy arrive here. Every time they fart, they spew out toxic poisons. We're going to invent a rocket and go and inhabit Mars. I'm just kidding. He did not pitch me a podcast, but he did talk about farting aliens. And if anybody wants to find out how the conversation took that turn, uh, the full interview is currently available to Canada Land supporters. Uh, it's, it's a great conversation. Please become a supporter and, uh, and check that out, as well as my conversation with Margaret Atwood and uh, a conversation with Rick Mercer that are available to supporters only. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadaland.com. You can email me about anything you heard today at jesse at canadaland.com. I read every email I receive. Tim, where can people find you and your work? Uh, I still have a somewhat of a, a presence on Twitter, although I'm trying to get out of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they all say. <laughs> uh, Tim underscore Bousquet, B-O-U-S-Q-U-E-T. And you can email me at tim at healthxexaminer.ca. Check out The Examiner. It is worth your time and your support. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our managing editor is Annette Ajofor. Our editor-in-chief is Karen Puglese. Theme music is by so-called syndications by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you value this podcast, you got to support it or there won't be stuff like this very soon. We rely on listeners like you to pay for journalism. You will get, as a supporter, premium access to all of our shows ad-free, early releases, bonus content, exclusive newsletter, discounts on our merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. But you'll be a part of something really special that is happening in this country. You will be making our work free and accessible to everybody else, an audience of literally millions. Come join us now. Just do it. Click on the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. 
That's stamps.com code program. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.